brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that shares your values. More information is available at CharityMobile.com. One of the effects of the rule of the modernists in the church these past several decades has been the reconfiguring of the papacy itself with the aim of putting the church at the service of the world. I talk about this topic on a daily basis, but I never really get into its roots. Truthfully, this topic is enormous, but there are many aspects of it worth talking about at length, and one of them is a curious bit of Catholic history that has long since been forgotten by most of the faithful, the papal coronation oath, and when it was set aside after the council. Today I'm going to discuss what the papal coronation oath was, where it came from, I'll recite it for you because it's not very long, and then I talk about when it was cast aside and the symbolic and very real implications that has had on the church and its relationship to the powers of the world. This will maybe answer some questions for some people. First, what is the papal coronation oath? It's the oath popes used to take upon being crowned with the papal tiara. I know that definition is self-explanatory, so let's take a sidestep into the papal tiara for a moment. You've probably seen variations of this thing. It's a three-tiered crown that doesn't look like any crown you've ever seen in the secular world. A good brief history of the papal tiara comes from the catholiceducation.org website. Quote, The papal tiara is first mentioned in the account of the life of Pope Constantine, who reigned from 708 to 715, in the Liber Pontificalis. Here it is called a camelaucum, which was part of the Byzantine court dress. At this time, it was constructed more like a papal cap made of white cloth. Pope St. Gregory the Great, who died in 604, was depicted in the artwork wearing such a cap. Sometime shortly after the 9th century, an ornamented circlet or banding was added to the base of the cap. Whether the circlet was for decoration or to represent a crown remains uncertain. Since the Pope held not only spiritual authority over the whole church, but also temporal authority over the papal states, a crown would not be necessarily inappropriate. Coins with the image of Pope Sergius III, who reigned for seven years beginning in the year 904, and Pope Benedict VII, who reigned from 974 to 983, depict these popes wearing a helmet-like cap with such decoration. The first usage of the actual word tiara is found in the life of Pope Paschal II, who reigned from 1099 to 1118, in the Liber Pontificalis. Around the mid-1200s, the ornamented circlet on the tiara became a highly decorated tooth-edged crown. Also on the back, there were added two quadi, or fans, two strips of cloth hanging from behind, similar to those attached to a bishop's mitre. Some suggest that these fans originated from the sweatband that a Greek athlete wore, which was wrapped around the forehead, tied behind the head in a knot, with the two ends hanging down the back. Since the victorious athlete was crowned with a laurel wreath, the whole headdress soon was seen as a sign of victory. Consequently, these fans had a symbolic meaning, arising from St. Paul's analogy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, a merited crown awaits me. See 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 8. Pope Boniface VIII, who reigned from 1294 to 1303, who tried to re-exert papal authority over the rising secular monarchs, added a second crown to show his spiritual and temporal jurisdiction. Sometime after the pontificate of Pope Boniface VIII, and before the death of Pope Benedict XII in 1334 to 1342, a third crown was added. Especially during the Renaissance, the tiaras became more and more elaborate, embellished with jewels. 
Several rationales exist for the papal tiara formed by three crowns, thereby called the triregno. First, the, the, the crowns represent the Pope's universal office, his jurisdiction over the whole church, and his temporal power. A second rationale is that the three crowns symbolizes the Pope's authority over the church militant on earth, the church penitent in purgatory, and the church triumphant in heaven. Another rationale, which is most dominant today, is that the Pope is vicar of Christ, who shares in his threefold office of priest, prophet, and king, and consequently shares in his work to sanctify, teach, and lead others in the faith. End lengthy quote. The symbolism of the tiara is key to understanding what has happened in the church. And what better source to quote directly is there than the Vatican.va website? That's the official Vatican website. So they give us this information, quote, the triregnum, the papal tiara formed by three crowns symbolizing the triple power of the Pope, father of kings, governor of the world, and vicar of Christ, came from the 18th century with which the bronze statue of St. Peter is crowned every June 29th, the feast day of the saint. Use of the tiara, a ritual during solemn ceremonies, was abandoned during the papacy of Paul VI. The tiara is a headdress, ending in an ogive, and made of silver. And during the times of Boniface VIII, two crowns were added. And from 1314, three crowns, the reason it is called the triregnum, topped with a small globe with a golden cross. Among the various interpretations, we shall mention the one that says that the three crowns represent the militant, the suffering, and the triumphant church. The shape of the triagnum varied throughout the years. We may find it represented as more or less rounded, in some cases without the globe and the cross. At times there is a modified position of the ribbons, two ribbons with a patent cross hanging. End quote. The part I want to zero in on here is the symbolic nature of the tiara, and uh, the, really the part I'm going to focus on here is that the papal tiara symbolized the triple power of the Pope as the father of kings, the governor of the world, and the vicar of Christ, as well as, of course, representing the church militant, the church penitent, and the church triumphant. It represented all six. Beginning with Paul VI, the tiara was cast aside by the pontiffs, who still called themselves the vicar of Christ, while symbolically rejecting the titles of father of kings and governor of the world. This was a renunciation of power of the papacy, as it related specifically to temporal or secular power. This was clearly an act designed to give legitimacy to secular power, while stating subtly that the church would no longer be against the secular order. I'll go over some of the symbolic gestures the popes have done since being uncrowned that feed into this with very real consequences. Where does the papal coronation oath come from? It dates back to the papacy of St. Agatho in the year 678 A.D. Every pope since St. Agatho swore this oath before God and man, until John Paul I, who was the first pope to reject a coronation ceremony. Add that to your reasons why John Paul I was not a traditionalist pope, even in his very brief papacy. There are some who believe that the coronation oath predates St. Agatho by a few papacies, but the near consensus among historians is that it was, in fact, St. Agatho who originated the oath. 180 supreme pontiffs out of the 266 have taken the oath, with the practice ending, again, with Paul VI as the last to take it. The oath is a swearing of the Vicar of Christ to not promulgate teaching that contradicts the faith, or to change the deposit of the faith, and reject innovations made against the faith. He will hold the faith as sacred and inviolable, and his role is to be ahem, a custodian of tradition. John XXIII and Paul VI both took the oath and were deeply involved in the errors of Vatican II, which is worth noting here. Something to consider before I recite this oath for you. The Church takes oaths very seriously. 
From Catholic answers, we get this partial explanation of when oaths are licit in the church, because we're not to take them lightly. Quote, An oath is licit and an act of virtue under certain circumstances. It is, in effect, an act of homage rendered by the creature to the wisdom and omnipotence of the creator. It is, therefore, an act of the virtue of religion. Moreover, it is an excellent way of according men security in their mutual intercourse. It is justified in the Old and New Testament. The faithful and the church from apostolic times to the present day have employed oaths, and canonical legislation and doctrinal decrees have affirmed their lawfulness. Improper use is often made of oaths, and the habit of swearing may easily lead to abuses and even to perjury. In counseling men not to swear at all, see Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, Christ meant, as the fathers and ecclesiastical writers explain, to be so truthful that men could believe them without the need of an oath to confirm what they say. He did not forbid the use of oaths under proper conditions, when necessary to satisfy others of our truthfulness. End quote. An oath is taken before Almighty God, and it is a solemn promise to him that you will uphold what it is you say you will. Bearing that all in mind, here is the papal coronation oath that has been cast aside since the time of Paul VI. Quote, I vow to change nothing of the received of tradition, and nothing thereof I have found before me, guarded by my God-pleasing predecessors, to encroach upon, to alter, or to permit any innovation therein. To the contrary, with glowing affection as her truly faithful student and successor, to safeguard reverently the past on good, with my whole strength and utmost effort, to cleanse all that is in contradiction to the canonical order, should such appear, to guard the holy canons and decrees of our popes as if they were the divine ordinance of heaven, because I am conscious of thee, whose place I take through the grace of God, whose vicarship I possess with thy support, being subject to severest accounting before thy divine tribunal over all that I shall confess. I swear to God Almighty and the Savior Jesus Christ that I will keep whatever has been revealed through Christ and his successors, and whatever the first councils and my predecessors have defined and declared. I will keep without sacrifice to itself the discipline and the right of the church. I will put outside the church whoever dares to go against this oath. May it be somebody else or I. If I should undertake to act in anything contrary sense, or should permit that it will be executed, thou wilt not be merciful to me on the dreadful day of divine justice. Accordingly, without exclusion, we subject to severest excommunication anyone, be it ourselves, or be it another, who would dare to undertake anything new in contradiction to this constituted evangelic tradition in the purity of the Orthodox faith and the Christian religion, or would seek to change anything by his opposing efforts, or would agree with those who undertake such a blasphemous venture. End quote. Notice that the Pope swearing this oath recognizes his and the ability of other popes to bind future pontiffs to their decisions, and to be bound by the decisions of their predecessors on pain of excommunication. Think about Quo Primum, which explicitly forbids the promulgation of a new liturgy for the Roman Rite, and, is, and that statement that prohibits it is bound with an, an anathematization of those who would try. Think about this papal oath, both of which recognize excommunication for anyone who tampers with things not meant to be tampered with. There are implications for this that some should really think about. The papal coronation oath was set aside in 1968, a few years into the papacy of Paul VI. 
Paul VI was the last pontiff to take the oath of coronation upon his ascension to the papacy. The act that set aside the oath was part of something larger. Paul VI removed the papal tiara and set it aside in view of the entire world. The event I'm thinking of happened early in 1968. The tiara now resides in the National Basilica in the United States of all places. According to its website, quote, Paul VI was the last pope to use a tiara at his coronation. However, after the ceremony, he donated it and introduced the use of a simple mitre. He gave the tiara to the poor people of the world with an official statement saying, the Roman Catholic Church has always shown its charity towards the poor. Pope Paul VI has wanted to give new proof of this charity after hearing the many and grave words expressed in the Council on the misery and hunger of these days. He then removed the tiara from his head, placing it on the altar as a picture of the renunciation of human glory and power, and as the new spirit of the Church purified. The tiara went on tour to raise funds for the poor before coming to the Basilica, where it is displayed today. The tradition of wearing a mitre was adopted by subsequent popes, and the use of the tiara was discontinued. The coronation ceremony was also renamed and is now known as the solemn inauguration of the Petrine Ministry. End quote. You can be forgiven if this sounds to you more than a little like Judas Iscariot asking why the ointments were not sold to help the poor. It is often the poor that are used by the powers that be to promote their programs, and there are some subtleties here in the surrendering of the papal crown that need to be discussed. Certainly, it's a good thing that Paul VI raised money for the poor, and I'm not going to say it's not. But he need not have surrendered temporal power to do so. The influence of the papacy at the time was enormous and could have been used to that end without surrendering to the spirit of the age. But two and a half years prior to the surrender of the tiara, Paul VI addressed the United Nations for the first time. I won't read his entire address because that would get really tedious really fast. Instead, I want to highlight this. Right at the start, after his general greetings and declaration of friendship to that secular body, Paul VI said this, quote, This gathering, as you are all well aware, has a twofold nature. It is marked at one and the same time by simplicity and by greatness. By simplicity, because the one who is speaking to you is a man like yourselves. He is your brother, and even one of the least among you who represents sovereign states. Since he possesses, if you choose to consider us from this point of view, only a tiny and practically symbolic temporal sovereignty, the minimum needed in order to be free to exercise his spiritual mission and to assure those who deal with him that he is independent of any sovereignty of this world. He has no temporal power, no ambition to enter into competition with you. As a matter of fact, we have nothing to ask, no question to raise, at most a desire to formulate, a permission to seek, that of being allowed to serve you in the area of our competence with disinterestedness, humility, and love, end quote. Paul VI put his office on the same level as the offices held by those present in that room at the time, or worse, at service to them. Those were his words. The implications of that are obvious, and in hindsight, it makes it crystal clear how we got to a place where the institutions are, of the church are in service to the Leviathan. It began in 1965 with this speech, which itself required the pontiff to surrender his crown because that crown symbolically placed the papacy above all offices of secular rulers. It became a contradiction, and Paul VI chose his alliance with the world. The papal coronation oath was replaced by an inaugural event like that of a secular ruler. The office has been changed fundamentally with a clear break of at least 1,300 years of tradition, and with that rupture comes a change in how the papacy is viewed by the world and the work it does with the world. It has become secularized. Our times are characterized by globe-trotting popes, 
who meet with politicians for geopolitical purposes, and often in alliance with figures whose works directly contradict the faith in the strongest terms possible. We've all become more aware of this in our time due to Francis's works, but every pope before him going back to Paul VI engaged in this to some degree. The casting aside of the coronation oath and the tiara were more than symbolic. It was a metaphysical change to the papacy. The church may not be restored to its rightful glory until the papacy is itself restored to this vision, and not until pontiffs reject the secular notions of temporal friendship with the world. I hope you found this editorialized bit of history interesting. This is definitely one of the effects of modernism in the church today. And as such, we as Catholics should expect the prelates and even the pope to do better than they do. We should have higher standards for them in our time than we do, but unfortunately we don't, because we become numb to the state of affairs. And until the right of our spiritual lives has changed, until we fix the, our own spiritual lives, not much is going to change. So I hope you're making the most of this Advent season. It is sort of a, a practice run for Lent, which is not that far away. But as always, let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.